0: Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. Amen. Man, if you're in the room, you can take a seat. If you're online, it's, it's awesome to have you joining us. Great to have the Niwot campus joining us too. And I, I just love seeing all of you worship together. It's the energy in the room, the energy celebration when we see the baptisms. It is good to be together on purpose for a purpose. And and speaking of that, I've got something you need to know before we jump into the message. And then I've got something that I really need your help with. And so both campuses, NIWOT and Frederick and online, we've got an opportunity that's coming up September 17th. And so formerly kind of known as um, Night to Shine, it's our special needs prom that we've done in February. It's not been kind of on everybody's radar because we've always done it that time of year. But every time we do it at that time of year, snow comes or something comes and it causes all kinds of problems for us. So we've actually changed that and we have moved that to September 17th and it's called our Shine Prom. And here's what we do. If you're new to Rocky, it's one of the best events that we do throughout the year. And what we do is we basically provide a prom, a night Night for a bunch of special needs students, young adults and adults to be the king or the queen of the prom. And it is absolutely fantastic. There's so much energy, so much joy, so much laughter, so much dancing, so many different things, so fun. And it literally has hundreds and hundreds of people that attend this event. And it takes hundreds and hundreds of people to actually pull it off. And so we actually, this year, get to, for the first time, not just do it here at the Frederick campus, we get to do it at the Niwot campus also. And so what I need from you is I need you to jump in with us and commit to volunteering and being there on September 17th at one of our campuses, You're Frederick campus, sign up for the Frederick campus. You're at the Niwa campus, sign up for that campus. If you're online, just choose a campus. We'd love to have you come and help us out, but there's all kinds of volunteer opportunities. There's opportunity to be a buddy, to be kind of a date or a chaperone for a person, a special needs person that night. And, and sometimes I remember just seeing some people be a little awkward, a little wondering, how's that going to go? Man, people get done with that and say, what, when can I sign up for next year? It is so much fun. There's opportunities for hospitality, there's security, there's games and uh, coordination of food and dancing and all kinds of different things. And so I would encourage you today, to go to rocky.church slash this week and we literally today and this week need hundreds of people to sign up so we can pull this off and it'd be a great opportunity to connect with our community. We get to connect with our mayors, our fire departments, our police departments, our businesses. They all jump in on this. So we all need to be in on this and make it just a great, great opportunity. Last thing is if you were willing to, if you've got some prom dresses or that, that you'd be willing to donate for people to borrow and then get those back but to borrow, you can drop those off today and through this week and next Sunday. We have a lot of smaller sizes. We need some larger sizes, but we would encourage you to help us do that. It's going to be an awesome opportunity. So rocky.church slash this week is the first thing on there. You might even want to text yourself a reminder or set up a reminder to sign up for that after church would be a great opportunity. And if you just want to do it right now during my message, I'm okay with that. All right, sign up. I want you to get to Luke chapter five. We're starting or continue our series at the table. And here's how we started last week. I made a statement that I believe is true. Some of the greatest moments and some of the greatest learnings that I've had in life happen around a table. You just think about that in your life. Some of the greatest moments you've had, some of the greatest learnings you probably had have been sitting at a table with some of your closest friends or people who've mentored you, people who are special in your life. And here's what's interesting. The quality of those moments And the quality of the learning that you had in those moments are directly connected to the quality of people that are sitting at the table. So my question to you is today, is who's at your table? When you think about your relationships and your closest relationships, who are the people who sit at the table, who do life with you and bring quality to your life? Now it's interesting, if you go back into the scriptures that were written by people who walked with Jesus, people who saw Jesus before and after his resurrection, the people who were taught by Jesus that wrote the New Testament, they constantly come back to these stories where some of God's greatest moments, some of Jesus' greatest teachings, some of his greatest moments with his disciples all happened around what? Around a table. 10 different times in the book of Luke, there is a story, there are stories about tables where Jesus sat down and did something great or taught something important around a table. And here's the thing. Jesus valued the table because he knew the power of soul-enriching friendships. Jesus valued friendship, he valued community, and you should too, because here's the truth. Your life is never richer than your relationships. I'll say that again. Your life is never richer than your relationships. Luke chapter five, starting at verse one, it's not actually a story about a table. It's actually a story where Jesus invites some men to join him and sit at his table for the next three years as he mentors and teaches them and prepares them to go start the church and do something that he called his mission that he wanted to reach the world with, the church. And so here it is, Luke chapter five, starting verse one. It says, When Jesus was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret, now stop there for a second. The Lake of Gennesaret, what is that? There was a place that was called the Sea of Galilee that shows up in scripture many, many times. There's a couple times in scripture where the Sea of Galilee is called the Lake of Gennesaret. It's the same place. Jesus did his ministry up and down the Western side of the Sea of Galilee constantly. Most of the stories you see happen on the Sea of Galilee. So this is one day while Jesus was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee, The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. I was reading this this last week and I'll be honest, that word crowded around them caught my attention and it caught my attention by something that I had listened to by one of our staff members this last week. So if you ever listen to the Rocky Weekly, we sent out an email that has just a little motivational kind of devotional moment by one of our staff members. And it has a whole bunch of things just to connect with here at the church. This last week, Luke Hall, our Niwot worship pastor, did the Rocky Weekly. And he made a statement that just caught my attention and I think it's really true. He said, the Christian life is a crowded life. I thought that was interesting because that can have almost a negative connotation, right? You think about it, I remember being in New York City with my wife and we're just kind of trying to see New York City in a day, if that's even possible. So we hit the subway constantly, and I remember getting on the subway and it was crowded. I remember standing there and having to hold on to the ceiling. She's holding on to me because it was so crowded I couldn't even reach anything else to hold on to. It was crowded. I felt a little closed in. There have been times in my life where I felt like crowded is bad. There's also been times in my life where I felt a little isolated and lonely and wished that life was a little bit more crowded. You see, I think what Luke said was true. The Christian life is supposed to be a crowded life. Meaning, the Christian life. You see no example in scripture where the Christian life or followers of Jesus or followers of God in the Old Testament lived isolated, insulated, disconnected lives. They were always surrounded by groups of people, God's people, they were connected with. Like, it's a theological truth. Think about it for just a second. If you go back to Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter 2, God has done all the creating in the first chapter. He's created everything from the sun, the moon, the stars, all of that. And after everything he creates, he gets to the end of the day. And what does he say? He said he gets to the end of the day, and he says, God looked at all he created and said, It was what? Good. Good. You read your Bibles, you guys know that. That's great. It, it, It was good, except for the sixth day. And what did he create on the sixth day? Man, all the ladies laughed, right? God created and he said, It was not good. Not that man was not good, what God created. And keep in mind, God was with Adam at this time. They walked together in the garden, it says. They had a relationship together. There was a period of time where it was just God and man. And God said that wasn't good enough. Keep that in mind for a second. There's a vertical relationship with God. Your life will never be richer than your relationships. There's a vertical relationship with God that needs to be deep. But there's a horizontal relationship that God created us for. And so it says that... God said, it is not good for the man to be alone, so he created woman. It goes on into the book of Exodus. Go from Genesis to Exodus. What does God create? He creates in Genesis and then in Exodus, he creates a nation of people, starts as a family, but then a nation called Israel. And what does God do? He creates celebrations, even his laws. He creates feasts. He creates all these gathering points to bring people together in community. You see, the Christian life is meant to be a crowded life. It's meant to be together with people. And then you go throughout the Old Testament, you get to the New Testament, the people who followed Jesus, who then started the church, created this thing called the church. The word church actually means gathering an assembly of like-minded people. And it says in Acts chapter two, when it describes them, it says that they met together and had, they were together and they had everything in common. It says that they met together daily in the temple courts. It said they met together frequently in homes and had meals together. It says that they met together on the first day of the week to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Being a Christian meant being together. The Christian life is a crowded life. It's meant to be that. And we live in a society that is opposite of that. We live in a society that pushes us further and further toward isolation and disconnection. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the Christian life, we need to understand and how Jesus did life, how he intends you to do life is to be together, not just with individuals, but also with groups of people. So my question to you would be, is your life a crowded life or is it a pretty isolated, quiet life? Starting verse two, it says, he saw at the water's edge, Jesus saw at the water's edge, two boats left there by fishermen. We'll find out that some of those fishermen were Peter and James and John, some of his closest friends. Those men had been with Jesus to this point, more relationally connected, but not as disciples, not as followers totally committed yet. He saw at the water's edge, two boats, left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, or we know him better as Peter, and asked him to put out a little bit from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, but master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. So it's interesting. It probably caught Peter by surprise. Probably caught Peter by surprise when Jesus comes in and the carpenter, Jesus, who's now become the teacher, takes over his boat and his group of men. (laughs) Peter's probably sitting there going, hey, uh, you're a carpenter. What do you know about fishing? Plus, Jesus, we have fished all night. We've not caught anything. And everybody knows that you don't put out into deep water and fish. You fish at nighttime in the shallow water in the Sea of Galilee, not at daytime in the deep water. But Peter knew this. Even though Jesus was asking him to do something that was totally contrary Totally contrary to all his training, to all his experience, everything he grew up knowing about fishing, he knew that it was Jesus and he had seen some great things already in Jesus. So there probably was a point and there probably was gonna be a payoff. And so Peter takes his boats, tells his men, quit cleaning the nets, reload them. I know we're done, but we're gonna do this because Jesus asked and he puts out and here's the result. It says, when they had done so, They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled the boat so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon partners. These men, those three end up being Jesus's inner three companions. There's the 12, but there are the three. Those are the men who sat at his table that were the closest connected to him. And here's the invitation. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and they followed him. And I think, as much as some of you fishermen out there would like for this to be about the catch of fish, <laughs> this story is not about the catch of fish. This is not about a fish story that Peter's gonna tell forever. What Peter told the story about that day was about the connection with Jesus. This wasn't about the catch, this was about the connection. It was about the invitation to leave something that Peter had done all his life, to, to do something contrary. To what he had done, Jesus was asking him in fishing to do something contrary to what he had always done, his experience. But then Jesus did something that asked him to join him in something much deeper, deeper to leave the shallow waters of fishing and to step into the deep waters of connection and relationship. And for the next two and a half years, Jesus has probably known Peter for about six months so far. For the next two and a half years, Peter and James and John sit at the table with Jesus, having deep conversations, deep relational connection. And they grew and they learned and they became something they never dreamed about because of the quality of people, not just Jesus, but the other people around the table and the depth of connection that they had. And what I want us to see this morning is that the Christian life is not only just a crowded life, but the Christian life is a connected life. There were crowds of people that followed Jesus everywhere. There were crowds of people that followed the disciples after Jesus left everywhere. There were crowds of people that followed Moses everywhere in the Old Testament. There were crowds that followed God's leaders all the time. The Christian life's a crowded life, but those leaders and those people and Jesus himself and Peter himself always had a table of a group of people that they connected with that was beyond the crowd. And what Jesus invites us to do, what he invites us through this passage, what he invites us through scripture, when you look at the early church, what he invites us to do is to do something contrary to everything that our culture tells us to do. See, right now, what we have in our culture is we have a culture that is pushing further and further toward isolation and disconnection than it is toward connection and relationship. And there's some very good things that we've done. There's some very good and positive things that we have produced and we've, we've created with the intention of keeping us connected. I'd say this, social media is an incredible thing. Man, I am more uh, informed, let me say that, I am more informed about family that lives far away, about friends that I haven't seen since high school or college. I'm more informed by social media than I could have ever been before it was created. But social media has created this opportunity for us to be disconnected from face-to-face relationships, be informed, but to be disconnected. Alan Algrim, our former lead pastor, nine years ago, he retired and um, he's writing a book that's coming out in December and it has so much to do with relationships. Even that line that I said, your life will never be richer than your relationships comes from that book. It comes from the heart of Alan. And, I, and I, I appreciate, he says this about social media and other things. He said, how many quality relationships do you enjoy? Sadly, we live in an age of amazing technological connection yet soul depleting personal disconnection. While many have hundreds of Facebook friends or social media friends, most have few face-to-face personal friends. And guys, it gets personal right here. Over 70% of men say that they have no close personal friends. Ladies, you do this a whole lot better than we do. Guys, we work, we take care of our family, we do this, we do that. But sometimes we don't take time for doing exactly what Jesus did with other men. Making space at the table for deep, soul-enriching relationships. It's not just social media, it's a pandemic. And believe me with the pandemic we want to be safe about that but what a pandemic has done is it's pushed us toward isolation there's stay at home orders work from home policies schooling online and so many people say man we're safer we're safer when we're disconnected we're isolated we're safer with that i would say we're lonelier with that Now please don't hear me getting political we do want to be safe But I would question how much health has it brought to us relationally when we put all these things in place that has pushed us further and further away from connecting with people at the table? You see, the result has been this. The result has been a spike in suicide attempts, a spike in depression, a spike in marriage problems. you go back to suicide and depression, it's for all ages. We've taken some of our younger ages that are disconnected because of media and all of that and we put them further into disconnection and it's had difficult difficult results in their lives. And I'd ask this question, could the enemy be using isolation to kill some of the very institutions that God has given us to help us find connection and meaning in life? See, I think some of us have drifted further and further toward isolation. Some of you haven't. Some of you have been intentional. Some of you say, well, this isn't for me today. I'd say it still is. But some of you have drifted further and further toward isolation and disconnection and your relationships are shallow and they're feeble. And you look at when we talk about the table and you say, I don't have a whole lot of people at my table and we're paying for it. Stu Weber says it this way and he's pretty pointed. He says, separation, isolation. He says, alone is hell. And I wasn't made for it. Neither were you. The creator said it from the get-go. It's not good for the man to be alone. And while the obvious immediate context of that verse is marriage, I believe it is a foundational statement of comprehensive principle to be found throughout scripture. He says this, together is better. You were made for a fr- as a friend for a friend. I love that line. You were made as a friend for a friend. The Christian life is a crowded life. It's supposed to be lived in proximity of people and groups of people and connected, but the Christian life is also meant to be a connected life, a life where we get past the crowd and we begin to connect with individual people that sit around our table. You see, the deeper water of the Christian life is found in connection. It's found in connection with people. It is the lifeblood of our faith. Your life will never be richer your relationships. And it's not just a theological truth. It's a sociological truth. Because it's a theological truth, because God created us that way, it plays out in relationships. Robert Putnam writes this. He says, the single, single most common finding from a half century's worth of research on life satisfaction, not only in the U.S., but around the world, is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and the depth of one's social connections and we were made for relationship. C.S. Lewis says it this way. I love how he says it. He says, you know, friendship, he says, you know, friendship has no survival value, but it gives value to survival. Friendship has no survival value, he says, but it gives value to survival. my question to you, is your table full or is it empty? Some of you say, what, what do you mean by that table? I, I remember sitting with Alan Algram um, many years ago when I came, first came here to Rocky and we were talking about this relational idea and friendship and, and Alan had an illustration that came from a guy from Bob, named Bob Shank and he said, hey, you need to have, your table needs to have some certain people in some certain chairs. Bob Shank calls it the table of influence. So if you imagine yourself right now, here's a, here's a good way to gauge your relationships and the quality of them and how much they're, uh, bring quality to your life. If you were to imagine yourself sitting at a table and there's four other chairs at the table, and Bob Shank goes through this, and, and I'll give you the labels that he puts on each chair, but you can put your own labels there. He says, if you were to think about the table of influence, there's a work chair, a wisdom chair, a wealth chair, and a woo chair. I'm not sure if I like the wealth idea, but here, here's, here's what they are. The work chair is this. It's those who sharpened you. It's those that you, you connect with and, and you're just making each other better. And so guys, you might think of it this way. I'm in a men's group and I've got some accountability partners, some guys that I can be honest with that are encouraging me. Iron sharpens iron. The wisdom chair, the wisdom chair is, is the chair that's almost the mentorship chair. It's a chair of the person that you trust that's got more experience in life that can be blatantly honest with you. Can look at me and say, Sean, I... I hear what you're saying, but I think you're wrong on that. And there's enough time and enough trust in that relationship that I can say, tell me more. Not get defensive, but, but listen and say, tell me more. And there's the wealth chair, more the resource chair. Who are those people that just resource you and things that you're doing? Might be people you work with, might be some older people that look at you and say, hey, I wanna just be a part of what you're doing. And they resource with generosity their time, their resources, other things, and they push those into you. And then the the woo chair, W-O-O, winning others over. Think of that chair as just the fun chair. Who's the friend that sits at your table that makes you laugh? Who's the friend you want to watch the ball game with? Who's the friend you want to go to a ball game with? Who's a friend you just want to have over for dinner just to connect? And who's a friend that does that and connects you to other people that you can enjoy? If you sit down and you look at that table of influence, everybody needs somebody in that work chair. They're saying, I'm going to sharpen you and you're going to sharpen me. We're going to do this life together. And everybody needs a mentor in that other chair to say, here's the wisdom chair. And I wanna bring wisdom into your life. Everyone needs someone that is mentoring them and probably someone you are mentoring too. And then you need someone that resources you and then you need someone that you just laugh with and have fun. So let me ask you this, when you look at that illustration, if you were to sit down and write down draw a table out, put the chairs down and write out the names of people that you would put in those chairs. Do you have people that are sitting at your table? You see, I think for most of us, we would say yes in some instances and no in others. I think for many of us, we would say, I I, Having people at my table, I realize it doesn't happen automatically. And I don't know if I've intentionally invested in relationships to find those people. The Psalmist writes in Psalm 101 verse six, he says, "'I will search for faithful people to be my companions.'" He says, I will search for them. I will put some intentionality into finding, not faultless people, but I will put some intentionality into finding faithful people to be at my table. You see, having the right people at your table doesn't just happen. I would encourage you, if you're a student or you're a young adult, that finding the right people at your table is one of the most important decisions that you can make, one of the most important investments that you could make in life. I think for, for young people, man, when you're a high school student, when you're a junior high student, you're a middle school student, you're a college student, young adult, you're in that place, man, and you are looking for people to have fun with, but you are looking for people to accept you. And what happens so many times in life, in those moments, the value of acceptance is so much more important to us than the value of finding faithful people. And finding faithful people is harder than finding people who would just accept us because some of those people that accept us and pull us into their crowd are not the right kind of faithful people. Man, if you're a student, I would encourage you right now, if you're a young adult, I would encourage you right now, the best investment you could make right now is investing in friendships and relationships with people who are faithful people. You can have a whole lot of depth of, of relationships and breadth of relationships, but the one thing that will pay off for you in the long run is finding people who you can have around your table right now. And sometimes that takes time to find those people. It takes intentionality, but find those people right now that will help you make the decisions that you can be proud of later now. Like you will never regret investing in the right kind of people and finding the right kind of quality connections that will encourage you. Kenny Rogers once said, you can't go out and make old friends. (laughs) You either have them or you don't. You start investing now. I've said this many times before, but two and a half years ago, Alan and I sat at a table again and I was explaining to him that I had a lot of connections, but not as many deep connections as I was looking for. He said, man, it's normal for pastors to have so many connections with so many people because we're around so many people, but sometimes insulate ourselves and not open up to as many people. And so we sat there at that table and I drew out a picture of a table. It felt so elementary. I drew out the picture of the table and he said, you go home and fill in the names of the people on those chairs. They may not be there yet, but maybe they're people that you want to be closer with. You want to find deeper connection with. And then he said this, you find time, to make an investment, a small investment, every single week to connect with and show value to those people. He said, if you don't make time for friends, the right kind of friends, you won't have them. And so for the last two and a half years, i tell you what I've done, I've invested in the people that sit around my table. And sometimes people come into that table and maybe go away and they moved or something happens or change of life or change of pace or whatever, but there's always been people at that table that I've said, I'm wanting to intentionally invest in those people. And here's what I've seen. The quality of my experiences, the quality of my learning, the quality of life and relationship and joy and peace and all those things has been directly connected, not just to the quality of the people, but the quantity of time that I've invested in those people. And some of you sit there today and you say, Sean, my life is so busy. How do I invest in those? How do I invest in all these relationships? I got stuff with kids and hey, my life is just as busy as yours is. And one of the things I've seen is sometimes you have to invest where you're already busy and build relationships with the people you're already doing things with. But there must be an intentionality to make sure that the Christian life is a crowded life, but it's also a connected life. Some of you sit here today and say, yeah, I want that. Well, what you do today will make a difference tomorrow, and the next week, and the next month, and the next year, and the next year after that. You don't have friends and people at your table by just walking up to somebody and saying, hey, would you be my new best friend? (laughs) You don't. But you do have friends by sending a text and making a call and going to a ball game or going to a lunch together or laughing together or grabbing coffee or going out and walking together and hanging out and just inviting people or saying, hey, why don't your family come over and hang out with our family for a barbecue? Intentionality breeds friendship and friendship brings a quality of life to us that God meant. You see, God said, your life will never be richer than your relationships. And if you step back into it, there's a side of that where Jesus created, God created relationships. There is a vertical, you look at the geometry of the cross, there is a vertical side to our relationships. He said that you've got to have a connection with me. Your life will never be richer than that connection with me. But here's the thing, what's so interesting is when you go back like when you go all the way back to Genesis, I don't know if you caught this when I said it earlier, the vertical connection wasn't enough. Even God knew that. He created us for a horizontal connection with people. And he said, it's not good. He said, I'm not even enough for man, just me. And man, that almost sounds contrary to everything we've ever learned. But if you look at how he created his family and the, and the nation of Israel, you look at how he created his church, we were never meant to just be this there was always this. You see, we, we actually become what God wants us to become. It's, it's his path for growth. It's, it's his path for happiness and connection. It's his path for so many things in our life to not just have the horizontal connection with God, but to actually have, excuse me, the vertical connection with God, but actually have the horizontal connection with other people. Rachel Held Evans says this. She says, this is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table. Not because they're right or worthy of good, but because they said yes. And there's always room for more. And God's plan for all those outcasts and God's plan for all those oddballs is for us to be connected with each other. See, we actually are who we are created to be when we're connected Desmond Tutu says this. I love this. He says, A person is a person through other persons. You can't be human in isolation. You are human only in relationships. And so, church, there's probably some of you sitting there saying, I kind of, I'm living life that way. And man, for you, fantastic. What you should probably do is write down the people around your table, and you should reach out to them this week with a text or a phone call or an email or something just to say, I value you. And I'm so thankful for our friendship. That'll take your friendship even deeper. But those of you that sit around at a quiet table, I want you to understand that God gave us a church to keep us connected. And there is the crowd, but there's also connection beyond the crowd. And we've sat around here for a long time. Some of the best friends that you're ever gonna have in life, you've yet to meet. And they might just be right here, but what you have to do is you have to take a step to connect. Man, I'd encourage you, September 10th, we're gonna kick off a bunch of small groups. Man, you'd be watching for how to do that. You'd be watching for how to sign up, but you jump in and take a step. Maybe you wanna get in on a team. Do something to give God a chance to give you the friend that you've been looking for. It's what we were created for and what's crazy, church. I want you to stand together right now. I want you to stand the Frederick campus. I want you to stand the Niwot campus at home. You can do whatever you want but I want you to look around for a second. What God did with the first church is it said that he brought them together and it gives all this description of how they did life together. And when they did life together, it wasn't even that they went out into the street sides and into the cities and and just shared everything about what God was doing. It says that the people saw how they lived in connection with other people. And it was attractive because it was totally contrary to everything else they experienced in culture and in life and church. Everything we get to experience or should experience or should be about here is contrary to what's out there. And the people out there, whether you understand or not, they're looking for what we have the possibility of having in here. And so let's do it. Let's do it. Let's give our best to that and let God do the rest and let him draw people to this community of people. Online people just wanna encourage you, man, it is so good. we've said you can worship online, but I'd say this, if all you're doing is in your living room and there's not a group of people that you connect with somewhere, it doesn't have to be in this large group, but it has to be somewhere, a group of people that you connect with, you are missing out. God didn't just create us for this. He created us for this. Let's pray together. Father, we wanna thank you today for the gift of friendship. Father, the investment is worth it. It's worth it. So God, I pray for the people who feel disconnected right now and they look at their table and they don't know, just don't have enough people at their table I, or, or the depth, depth of connection at their table. Father, help them just to start. Help them to send a text, make a phone call, go out to eat with somebody, invite somebody over, start talking to their neighbors, hang out at the soccer game on the sidelines and talk to them. whatever it is, God, sign up for a group here. Help us to connect. And Father, for those who have it, help them to teach the rest of us how to do it, how to do it well. I thank you for all our group leaders that spend so much time just creating community and facilitating community. I pray people will sign up and connect with them. Father, most of all, we pray that that relational connection, that crowded life, that connected life will just shine a light into our community to show people what we can have together. And I pray people will come. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.